Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hi, friends. Welcome to We Gotta Talk. I'm really excited, as always, about this week's guest. Um, it is the holiday season. We had everybody here for Thanksgiving, which was good, but also incredibly stressful and busy. And we still have a huge, huge uh, Christmas ahead of us, too, with tons of social events and things that we're going to be doing. I'm sure you guys are in the same boat. It's good, right? We love being around our family and our loved ones, but the holiday seasons can also be unexpectedly um, difficult, not just stressful in terms of the number of things that we have to do um, from planning the holiday through executing all these things, especially for our kids that we want to do, but it can also really bring up buried traumas or issues that we've been dealing with. Um, you know, we notice everybody out and about with their loved ones. Things seem to be perfect with everyone that we look around and see and inside we might feel like we're struggling alone in some way or dealing with some feelings that just, um, that are amplified by this otherwise festive season. So I'm really excited to welcome today's guest to the show who's going to help us work through some of that trauma and drama. Justine Carino is a licensed mental health counselor and a therapist based in White Plains, New York, as well as the host of the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. She uses cognitive behavioral therapy as well as another method that I cannot remember how to pronounce. <laughs> that we're going to have her remind us of in a moment. But basically, she deals uh, with people in all stages of life, helping them to overcome overwhelm, stress, uh, perfectionism, any of those things that we might be dealing with, especially during the holidays. Justine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be speaking with you. This is so good to see you. I've been on your show before. We yes. waxed poetic on my medical anxiety, which was super fun. Um, you... <laughs> had such awesome things to say and the way you spoke about therapy, I think really resonated with a lot of my listeners. Well, good. You know, I think if there's nothing else we do on my show, it's just sort of an opening up and a sharing of all of the things that make all of us tick because I don't know why people are still, it just feels a little late to be embarrassed of therapy. 2022, like I can understand like the seventies or the eighties or the nineties. I mean, I just feel like we should be collectively beyond our embarrassment of therapy, right? Totally agree. I totally, totally agree. agree. I always say the people who joke about not needing therapy are the people who need therapy the most. Uh, yes. Usually the people that, coming, that are coming to therapy are talking about the people in their lives that need the therapy. Isn't so, that interesting? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we, we have you here today and typically we, um, you know, when we meet, we talk about just sort of evergreen topics like anxiety or overwhelm or difficulty, um, maybe balancing work and life. But I really want to focus on the holidays today. And I have to say, I put out a question prompt on Instagram to get people's thoughts and sort of take their temperature on if the holidays are stressful for them. And I was surprised by the number of responses of people who do experience a lot of negative feelings when it comes to the holiday season. Why is there such a correlation between this time of year and difficult feelings? Well, to get started, it's forced family time. You know, mm. any other time of year, you can think of some really good excuses to get out of seeing people, right? Get at, Avoid seeing people that bother you, that you have past conflicts with. You can dodge that. But when it comes to the holiday season, there's an expectation. There's yeah. a precedent, right? It's everywhere in the media. It's in every Christmas song, home for the holidays, right? So there's this expectation that you're going to gather with family no matter what has happened throughout the year. 
-hmm. And that is why so many people are reactive because they can't think of a good reason to get out of it. I mean, it's a big holiday that people are celebrating, whether it's Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's, people want to get together with family members and not everyone sees the conflict. So that's why it triggers a lot of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people, even with family, family drama are ever the optimists, right? And we think, well, if there's ever a time to bury the hatchet, now should be it. Do you suggest the holidays as a time for people to bring up past grievances? Or is this a topic that we don't want to place some sort of false deadline on fixing? You know, that's a great question. And I think it's dependent on what the conflicts are between the family members. If you communicate the right way, and effectively, I think you could talk about anything at any time. Hmm. The problem is we don't really know how to communicate effectively. And usually with our family members, we're caught between either being very passive, passive aggressive, or straight up aggressive. And that leads to a conflict escalation. It, okay, let's dig in right there. What I have noticed in conflicts in my personal life is that we tend, especially in our immediate families, our, you know, sort of secondary relations, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc., we tend to adopt a family role very early on in life. We are assigned a descriptor and a title. She is the shy one. She is the aggressive one. He is the avoidant one. And these labels, I, I don't know why, they're really easy to escape in the real world where no one knows our history. But when we come back to that family table, why, Justine, do we immediately go back to the seven-year-old version of ourselves? I love that you bring this up. You're really speaking my language. And this is one of the theories that I work with my clients on. And it, it's from Bowenian family systems, right? So the families that raise us we all function as a system together. We all have this role that you're mentioning that just unfolds naturally. But the purpose of these roles are to keep this homeostasis, to keep the family at a baseline or this default, right? So maybe you being the good girl or the golden child gets everyone's attention off mom and dad hating each other, gets the attention off mom and dad having severe issues in their marriage because they align over you. They get to praise you. They get to say, look how well we parented, blah, blah, blah. She's amazing. Maybe that's the only time you see your parents actually get along with each other. So then you start to learn subconsciously, hmm, if I'm this good girl, mom and dad fight less, I can align them. And then we actually start to subconsciously live out those roles outside of the family system. We start to probably do it with our friend group. We probably do it in a work setting. We probably do it in our romantic relationships. So we actually carry them out. But as we get older, we start to get smarter and learn that role doesn't really serve us as well anymore. We need to change it up. And that's why people start working on the people pleasing or the perfectionism or the overachieving. They're exhausted from it. But our family has such a strong template of our internal world, internal subconscious. So you could live away from your family all year long get zapped back at that Thanksgiving table, see the dynamics unfold and get easily sucked in. This is where the work is for someone in therapy. And it's called a process of differentiation. A differentiated adult starts to learn that they can have boundaries. They can say no. They could be different than the role they were raised in. And they can have a new role in their family system. That takes a lot, a lot of work and years of work to start to practice, but it's possible. 
So the problem though, is that maybe we're evolving or maybe we're teaching ourselves to show up as different people or even more evolved people than that initial family role. But sometimes the people around us don't accept that. And that kind of really complicates things. What do you do when you're showing up at the Christmas table, at the Hanukkah table, at the Kwanzaa table, wherever, as this new version of yourself, and yet people refuse to accept that you have different boundaries now, different ways of expressing yourself. What do we do then? Boundary setting sounds easier than it really is. And I think there's a lot of talk on social media about it, but it takes so much work in therapy to practice over and over again. So your new boundary, whatever it is, is probably not going to stick the first time you try it out. It's going to have to be consistency. And you have to expect that the family members are going to push back on your boundaries. But the first thing you can realize is you cannot control them. You cannot expect them to change. You can only take a good look at you and how you typically react to these people. Take a good look at your own boundary setting patterns, right? So you might learn that you have really loose boundaries, right? You tend to sacrifice your own needs for others. You let people walk all over you. You kind of, you know, loosen the boundary to make other people happy or keep peace with people. Or maybe you have really tight, rigid boundaries. You easily cut people out. You easily get angry. You say things like, I tend to hold grudges or I trust no one. You have a hard time forgiving people. Then your boundaries might be too rigid. So you need to first understand and kind of observe, like, what is my pattern of boundary setting in my social life, but really with my family members? And how can I change it to be more healthy? You know, I think there's a lot of myth and misconceptions about cutting off people. Like if someone's toxic, cut them out of your lives immediately. I disagree with that. And so does a lot of the theories in psychology because a cutoff, usually there's a lot of anger and resentment that still follows. So even though you may not be speaking to that person, they take up a lot of space in your mind and in your heart, right? We cut off if there's abuse, right? If there's emotional abuse, if there's physical abuse, right? If there's extreme narcissism, you know, there's moments we do have to have a cutoff. But most of the time, the average person cuts off relationships prematurely. And that adds more stress to their life and actually trying to work on their relationships. Okay. So let's hop in there. How do we know if it's premature? And I agree with you. There's a lot of talk. There's a lot of casual talk about narcissism, for Mm -hmm. example. And like you said, boundaries on Instagram. And I see people make these manifestos about who they're going to let in and not in anymore. And it seems very bold. So how do we know what is a proper boundary to set? And if we are doing it at the right time? Yes. So it's, it's difficult, right? So I always say, give it a few tries, right? Give it a few tries. If you set the boundary once and they're not receptive, don't take that as an indicator that they'll never change, right? This is years in the making. Maybe this is 30, 40, 50 years of relationship that you expect one conversation to change everything. It's going to take a lot of time. Now, if you find that when you are dealing with this person, you are depressed, you're highly anxious, pay attention to your body, pay attention how you feel when they call you, when you see their phone, their name on your phone, when you see an email, pay attention to your cues of, is this a toxic relationship that I need to really separate from? Are you ruminating and obsessing about the relationship all the time? 
Is there codependency where you're enabling some kind of bad behavior? You make up lies for them to protect them if there's alcoholism, drug abuse, severe mental illness, right? So you want to pay attention to the red flags. But even then, I would still say meet with a therapist and discuss a strategy of how to give this person a few chances. And then at that point, if you don't see a change, it's safe to let go. Because that, like I said, at the end of the day, we can't control how other people relate to us and how they interact with us and how they react to our boundary setting. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's the, the benefit of this widespread knowledge of therapy is that we do have this language in our lexicon now, boundary setting, like you said, or narcissism or, you know, mental disorder. So we're like aware of these things, but I do find that they're kind of thrown around casually. So it's encouraging to me because you know what I think? Like this is actually my first instinct when I see a reel on Instagram and it's someone talking about cutting out someone from their life and it's cutting out their parent, I start to immediately worry what I'm doing. If my kid is going to be the one on social media in like 30 years, I'm like, oh my God, this is such a fear of this. It's a fear of mine. I know I'm kind of like thinking about the other end of it, but um, it, it really causes you as a parent to pause and reflect because we can try our best, but clearly some relationships end up being damaged beyond repair. Some do, right? Some do. But if someone's coming to my office and at week to week, they're talking about this relationship, talking about this relationship, but they're cut off. I like to reflect and say, you're not really cut off. You're coming every week talking about this person. This person still takes up significant space in your life. Can we attempt to heal and repair in some little way? Because that'll benefit your other relationships. I'll give an example. Let's say you're a man who is having a really hard time dating you're feeling rejected over and over again. And I come to find you have no relationship with your mother or your sisters. I'm going to say, bingo, your relationship template with women is strained. There's a lot of conflict there. What's being triggered in your dating life that's unresolved trauma from your childhood with your family? And sometimes we have to repair those relationships to see a better outcome while you're dating. That's interesting. So do you notice there's often a tie between how we relate to our parents in our early years and how we relate to other intimate relationships down the line? Is that always what's screwing things up? (laughs) (laughs) It is so closely correlated. What's so fascinating, the first seven years of our life, we are mental sponges. We are just downloading, downloading, downloading information and creating our subconscious mind everything's getting put in there. The problem is not everything we input into our subconscious mind might be reality. We may not fully understand it. So sometimes we create these beliefs that could be irrational or unhelpful. But our childhood relationships with our caregivers, our siblings have so much power over how we interact in our adult relationships, whether it's with best friends, co-workers and our romantic relationships. So it really forms this template of how do we set boundaries with people? How do we navigate conflict? How do we express ourselves? You know, lots of times I hear clients say, oh my God, I was yelling at my kids. I sounded just like my mother. I sounded just like my father. Yeah, you did because that's what you experienced discipline like growing up and now you're doing it. Your template's there. Even if you don't want to act that way, you have this strong template that you have to kind of work through and repair. I mean, how old is too old to fix that? Because I feel like if there is so much damage done or so much hurt 
felt from one side, it's like not incentivizing to like go back and fix it. So um, I know you said, of course, to talk with a therapist and really Mm -hmm. gauge your situation, your specific situation. But like, I'm asking this for the parents who probably want to have that relationship and for the children who don't know if they do. Is it fixable even if we're in our 40s, 50s? 100%. I had a client last year who was in her 60s that wanted to repair with her clients that were like, I mean, her clients, her parents that were in like their 90s, right? I also have clients that are extremely resentful of their dying parents right now. And they have a big defense up like, I'm scared that, you know, my mother or father is about to pass and we never repaired this. So it's on people's minds, right? And those elderly parents are thinking about that too. And unfortunately, death usually is a time where people say, oh, shit, sorry if I'm I'm allowed to curse, but we're running out of time. (laughs) We're running out of time to repair this relationship. So it could be done at any age if both people are willing and flexible. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying live your life for the next 20 years trying to repair a relationship. That's exhausting. And there are times that we have to let go. And that's where we start to use the radical acceptance. So radical acceptance is this awesome term coming from DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, which really means we have to accept situations as they are, right? We can only control what we can control. There is so much out of our control. It doesn't mean we agree with the circumstance, but it means we tolerate it and accept it. Because once we can accept it, we can game plan. We can brainstorm. We can say, is this worth resolving? Is this worth working on? Or do I just let it go? But radical acceptance, especially in the Buddhist culture, they say end suffering. Because a lot of our suffering and pain is denial, rejection. Okay. So what if we are pursuing radical acceptance in a, in a complicated relationship in our lives, but practicing that involves accepting that the other person defines reality differently than you do. I mean, I can accept, for example, that I think the grass is green, but if the person I love and want to repair a relationship with the most, no matter what I say, thinks it's blue, that to me feels like a complete obstacle in truly resolving a relationship. So how do we radically accept a situation or a person when they see things so differently from us? We have to really, really pay attention to our thought processes, right? What are we thinking about after these interactions with this person, before these interactions? Are you telling yourself this person can change? Are you telling yourself they should change by now? I deserve this person to change. I'm their son, I'm their daughter. Like, what are the rules? We all make rules in our head that sometimes reinforce the suffering and makes it hard to accept that this person will not change. So we really need, the key into all emotion management is tolerance. We have to learn how to tolerate uncomfortable things. We hate that. And we live in a world where we can be distracted in two seconds. The minute we're upset, we can figure out anything we can do to get our mind off of it. And it's actually hurting us. We don't have a tolerance muscle for emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And feelings are information to us. We need our feelings. We can't push them away. If they do, they grow stronger. So we have to learn how to tolerate how we feel. Tolerate if we have an expectation that's 
unrealistic and unlikely, right? Maybe you have to go through the process of putting an effort a few times. Then you have to accept this person's not going to change. I'm not going to have this repair before they pass. I'm not going to have this repair before Christmas dinner. And that sucks. And that makes me feel so sad. And you grieve the loss of that relationship. Grief can exist even when people are alive. We grieve the loss of something. It sure can. You know, I'm thinking about even relationship, romantic relationships looking the way we think they should or friendships looking the way we think they should. It's just really hard because I think all of us have an idea of how we show up in the world for people and we expect a mirror image of that. I mean, whether or not that's silly to say, if I do something for someone I love, it's not like I expect quid pro quo. 24 seven, but, or, or, or an equal exchange of time and love. However, like I do think we tend to think, oh, well I show up in the world, like in a really great way for this person. Why can't they do that for me? And it's just like an endless cycle of disappointment really. Yes. And some people are just not capable. And I hear myself saying that a lot in sessions. Like, I don't think your father or your mother or your ex-husband is actually capable of being the person that you hoped they could be. That sucks. Yes. And that's acceptance. We accept that this sucks. I don't agree with it. I deserved a better parent. I deserved a better husband. I deserved a better whatever but I accept that this is the way it is and I can't control it and I'm going to let it go. And sometimes I do rituals with clients. Like what's the ritual of letting go of the trauma with your brother or your mother? Like, do you have to go light some letters on fire? Do you have to light some pictures Mm -hmm. on fire? There's a lot to be done in rituals that help us process them. Just so we can put a bow on this before moving on to some specific questions from listeners, can you give us a basic rule of thumb for when to work on pursuing the fixing of a relationship and when to not. I know it's going to be complicated, Mm. like you said, but just so that we can put a bow on this, because this is a really big one. And I think when we think about holidays and how we all desire to have really strong relationships with people in our life, this is going to be something that people are going to come back and back to. So I would say if you are able to still have some positive connection or positive emotions towards that person, whether it's some positive memories, whether it's, you know, you had a good conversation with them last week and that went well, that shows us that they're capable mm-hmm. of interacting positively at times with you. So I would say at that point, give it a try. Mm-hmm. And if you try too hard, and you've given it a few chances, then you let it go. And sometimes letting it go, you will see comes back to you also down the road that maybe the person sees things differently and then they pursue you. I actually do have one more like follow-up before we move on. Have you ever seen anyone really radically change? Like the other person? I know we are all the other people to someone. So I'm not saying that, you know, one person's reality dictates how a relationship goes, but in your case, working with clients who have had difficult relationships, have you ever seen that other person really change drastically? Because I feel like that probably rarely happens. I have. And there was a moment in a session with a family where the daughter just wanted an apology because the daughter had a mother that was an alcoholic and has been in recovery successfully. But this daughter had so much anxiety so much frustration, so much resentment. And we got to the bottom and this person just wanted an apology and was like, 
my mom has made amends, has worked a 12-step program with everybody but me. And does she think I don't need it because I was such a little girl? And I ha- these are the sessions that give me chills. Wow. When you 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 hope going into the session, like, I'm like, please, God, let this mother say the apology. And I already knew, I'm like, maybe I have to prompt this mother to do it. Let me take that risk. This mother did it on her own. It was meaningful. It clicked for both of them. And it made significant difference and change in their relationship. And actually, my client's anxiety dissipated significantly. So it, it's 100% people can say sorry. People can look at themselves. Yeah. I love that. I love that happy ending. And I always like to kind of ask specifically, I know every situation is different because I think it's important to give people hope that there is a chance for some of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into some specific topics that people submitted. So we asked what's the hardest part of the holidays and we can kind of run through these relatively quickly, but I thought they were interesting because they all come from kind of a different point of view. So someone said something difficult for her is relatives asking personal questions like, when they will start a family. Can you speak Uh, to this situation? That's such a hard one, especially today's day and age where a lot of people have a hard time even starting a family if they want to, right? They might be struggling with fertility issues. I would say you have a game plan going into the dinner or the celebration with what you will say. Practice it. Maybe your partner's on board with it. Maybe you role play with each other. So when people do approach you with those questions, you have a response in your back pocket and you can be polite. You don't have to be rude. And you, and you can say things like, Oh, I appreciate that you're interested. Haven't thought about it yet. Mm -hmm. That's That's it. it. You don't have to give anyone, keep it simple. You don't have to give your personal information. You don't have to come up with this crazy explanation. Thank you so much for for asking. I see you're interested because people are interested. They want to see you have kids. Just say, we haven't really talked about that yet, or not anytime soon, or it's not on our radar yet. Yeah. Something that just kind of shuts it down. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exhaustion was one that came up time and time again. I'm assuming this is coming from the person who's doing a lot of the elf on the shelving in the house or the planning. <laughs> so, Exhaustion, yeah. Oh, it's so real during this time of year. So what's a what's a quick tip to rejuvenate ourselves? It's a great question. So you still have to prioritize downtime. I think the holiday season has so much to do, right? If we wanted every day on every weekend to do some kind of holiday festivity with our kids or ugly sweater party or Santa con or this or that, we probably could fill our schedule. Don't (laughs) sit down with your family and say, you know, this holiday season, we're only, what are the top two you want to do? Do you want to meet Santa at the mall or do you want to do breakfast with Santa, right? Do we have to see everyone on Christmas day and go back and forth to four houses? Can over Christmas break or New Year's day, we reschedule a gathering with them. So mm-hmm. talk, it about, talk about it with your family members to slow it down and prioritize your self-care. Even if it's for 30 to 60 minutes at the end of the day, you watch your favorite reality show or you wake up 10 minutes earlier for peace and quiet for coffee by yourself before the chaos starts in the house. Your downtime is important. And if you're exhausted, you're already burned out. You've already done too much. It's okay to say no and pull back. Okay. I love that. We need permission to say no. So thank you for adding that in there. I'd I'd love to hear someone verbalize that. Uh, Another person wrote in with issues with their in-laws. This can be Mm. tough, especially let's even take it a step further and say they're coming to stay with you for part of the holiday. Mm -hmm. What now? 
So I'm, I'm going to guess this person doesn't like their in-laws or their in-laws make them feel uncomfortable. Again, game plan. You know, you could even say to your partner, oh my God, your parents are coming for a whole week. I'm going to have a hard time with it. Let's look at the calendar. Can I just get away for like three hours on Tuesday? Do I have to really be present and post them? Can we switch out a little? More than likely, your partner's probably like, yeah, totally. You're doing a lot of work. You don't have to. Or can I make sure I still get to the gym every day while they're mm -hmm. here? Can you man the fort while they're here? So be able to give yourself space. I've also had clients pay for their in-laws to stay at a hotel. They're like, I know this is going to be awful. I'd rather pay the money and say, there's a hotel up the street. Our gift to you is to stay there. We will meet you for dinner these nights. You could be so creative. A lot of it depends on what you're able to tolerate and work on and discuss some of the issues that come up over and over, why you're resentful of them in the first place. Talk about it with your partner. Have them su support you and be on the same page with you. I love that. The game plan sounds game important plan. there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this person, I'm just going to read you directly what they wrote in. Navigating the holiday with a little more peace and cooperation than I'm getting. Ooh. One more peace and cooperation. I wouldn't, I want more detail, but again, maybe you need to delegate, right? I, I feel like this is a time of year that in particular women and moms do everything. And maybe you're in the habit of doing that. And maybe you need more people to support you and you delegate certain gift buying to somebody or picking up doing the wrapping paper to somebody. Like maybe you've spread yourself too thin. Mm -hmm. But if they're not cooperating, are you willing to then draw a line and say, oh, well, if you don't go out and buy the elf on the shelf for the family this year, I guess we're not going to have one, right? You don't enable the resistance and you talk it out and you tell the person, feel like you're not cooperating. You express how you feel. I feel so drained. I feel so tired. I feel so overwhelmed. I would really love your help. Instead of when the person walks in the door, you know, tearing them a new one, nice. pointing your finger, be gentle. Say, I feel like I really need your help. What about those who are missing loved ones? This was something that came up several times yeah. as well. I'm, this is probably just never easy. The holidays are so triggering for grief. If you if this is the first holiday season after you've lost a loved one, expect it to be miserable. It's yeah. going to be miserable and cr just cry. Force yourself to do a little bit, right? You will probably feel better on these holidays with company than you will alone. I don't think that's a smart plan. A lot of people say, I just can't do it. I just can't participate or start a new tradition. If every year you went to this one person's house and now that's going to be too hard for everybody, Go to someone else's house, right? If you every year you cut down the Christmas tree at one spot, go go to a new tradition that year. Maybe I'm talking about New York City because that's close to us. Go to the city and see the Rockefeller tree, right? Create some new traditions while honoring the old traditions of the people you have lost. Put an ornament up from them. Their Etsy has these beautiful ornaments in honor of people that have passed. Some traditions, um, some religions leave a seat at the table. For the person that passed. Oh, that's beautiful. So, that's beautiful. Yes, there's a lot you can do to honor that person. And that feels good. Um, this one was kind of funny, but I have to include it as the last one. Um, she said, I need help with trying not to eat my weight and mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> I, got, I, I anticipate this is a little tongue in cheek, but um, you know, there's lots of good food around. Maybe we, we want to enjoy it, but not overindulge. Can you speak to that? 
Yeah. So by no means am I an, a nutritionist, dietitian, right. or specialized in eating disorders. But ask yourself, what is that indulgence about? Excuse me. What is that indulgence about? Are you trying to manage your emotions? Like, uh oh, you're so anxious around all these people, so you're just going to eat yourself, silly. Are you trying to stuff? I've seen this a lot where people who binge are stuffing their emotions literally. They they physically stuff themselves to stuff the emotion down. Is that something you're trying to do? Not let your emotions out? Are you just really tempted and just want to eat everything because it's a time of year we can get away with it? Look at what's behind what is behind the eating and practice mindfulness. Really pay attention to your body and your cues. Are you eating because you're anxious, stressed, or uncomfortable? Or are you eating because you're actually hungry? Sometimes we just eat because it tastes so good and that's okay. Have grace with yourself. Yeah, there's some, you know, this is the time of year that we only make certain recipes or foods or whatever. And I'm a big believer in moderation. So a couple of bites of this, a little yes. serving of that. I mean, it's work. It's working for me, but you know, yes. yeah. I never want to turn down a Christmas cookie either. Is me there any, anything else you want to speak to that's coming up in session a lot with your clients? We've covered a lot of topics and things that make the holidays a little difficult too, but what are you hearing in practice lately? So this even started before Thanksgiving where clients are saying, oh my God, I have to go home and stay with my parents for a week. Mm. Or I have to go and stay with my brother or I have to do this or do that. And then it's followed by, I wish I had so-and-so's family. Mm. They look like they have so much fun. I wish I had a different mom. I wish I had a different dad. I wish I had a different this. I wish I had that. Stop yourself. We really don't know what goes on behind closed doors of other families. So the comparison is only going to make it worse for you right? And allow yourself to grieve. Yeah, that's the radical acceptance. This really sucks that I have a bad relationship with my family. And maybe you don't commit to the whole week. Maybe you do one or two days and then you get an out of something else that you can commit to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so funny because I do see things on social media and people are posting about like all the fun stuff their family is doing. And it's like, oh, they do that. And that's a cool tradition. And why can't we be the, so that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Don't, we don't really know what's truly going on. We really don't. What do you most hear about after like Christmas and Hanukkah or whatever, the, the general holiday season has passed? I mean, it's so funny because I feel like we really wait for these special moments, especially with families. You know, you get to for example, watch the holiday through your kids' eyes. It's really special. So we want them to be here and then they get here and we're like, oh, this is so much. What advice do you have for people who like want to soak it in and want to really enjoy it, but also are aware that it can be a little tricky sometimes? Really try to tap into the concept of mindfulness. So if you don't know, that's when we train ourselves, we have to train ourselves to become really present. Our mind is thinking all day long. Research says we have over 6,000 thoughts a day. 70% of those thoughts tend to be negative. So that means only 30% are neutral or positive. And our brains are wired this way. As case people, we needed to think negatively to kind of look around and avoid threats. So during the holiday season, be present. Focus on the here and now of, wow, this is Christmas morning. Stop worrying about putting the turkey in later. Stop worrying about this later. Be here, reflect on the moment, engage in the moment. Sometimes you start that with some deep breathing exercises, meditation. Every time your mind wanders, say, I don't need to be there yet. I need to be Mm -hmm. here right now. 
This is a fleeting moment, especially if your kids are little. Really tap into presence. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. I do like with the exception of Christmas morning when the kids are actively opening gifts, I'm always like not in the moment. I'm like, well, you got this concert today. We have this event tonight. We have that party tomorrow. It's just like, I find myself just like going through the motions. So that, that reminder to be present is so important. I'm the mom cleaning up the wrapping cater- paper immediately. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, I could do that. I'm like, give me that. Give me that. Can I just I, see I, them listen, open it? I will always do that because you know why? We're making our lives easier 20 minutes from then. I can't it's, oh my gosh, it. I leave the giant garbage bag open. I'm like, bring it over, bring it over, bring it over here. All right, come on, put it in. You know, oh my gosh, I have the totally. best memory growing up of, I'm from Pittsburgh originally. We had a big brick fireplace in our family room and we used to have a fire on Christmas morning, every Love morning, that. no matter the weather. And we would just take the, you know, the wrapping paper and put it in there. I'm like, we need a, we just Love need a fireplace that. down here. Yes. What a good idea. It solves the problem. It solves the problem. I don't know how good it is for the environment, I but I was like, you know, you use a good fireplace right now. There you go. Um, tradition. Yeah. It's so, so fun. Are there any fun traditions? Speaking of traditions before we let you go, Justine, that you are most looking forward to? I know you have a family. I know yeah. things are busy, but crazy and fun for you guys. So what are you the most looking forward to? Oh, I love this time of year. I'm so obsessed with decorating the house and we get the tree the day after Christmas immediately. It's always a priority. We go and get that tree. After, I'm sorry, the day after Thanksgiving, we go after Thanksgiving and put up the tree. That's something I love. Um, we're looking forward to doing some breakfast with Santa, but I love getting together with the family. Christmas Eve is really special. My husband's side is Italian, so they do the seven fish. And on Christmas Day, we go to my brother's house and we get to see my side. So it's just I look forward to this time of year. It's really so cozy and so special. Oh my gosh. We did the seven fishes growing up as well. All my family or all my friends were like, that's so weird. You have like anchovies at Christmas. <laughs> like, It's so fun though. I actually really long for those days. You know, it's those really, I, I give his family credit because as you have your own kids, that's really hard. To, we have not maintained that in my family because- You know, it's, it's hard. My mother-in-law does it and- she makes even separate dishes for the kids because she knows they mm-hmm. probably won't eat all the fish, but it's such a yep. nice tradition. Oh my gosh. Yes. I've just memories of like the entire buffet lined with food, mm-hmm. like from like one end to the other. So good. Yeah. So fun. Uh, Justine, thank you for spending some time with me today and help us helping us work through some of the more difficult parts of the of holiday season. I'm so, so grateful for your time and your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. And tell us where we can connect with you. I know you're based in, like we said at the beginning of the episode, White Plains, New York, but tell us how you work with clients, how you, you know, um, advise people, et cetera. So I have a private practice in White Plains, as you said, where I specialize in treating anxiety disorders, but I also do a lot of family therapy and couples therapy. So I work with individuals, couples, and families. I have a, and you can find my website, it's carinocounseling.com. So all my services are listed there. I also have a mental health podcast called Thoughts from the Couch that really caters to the overachieving, perfectionistic, anxious mom. And I have an online course that was designed to help the ambitious, overachieving mom manage anxiety better. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's 
we need to be counseled out of our craziness. I guess I should speak for myself. I heard that and I'm like, you should probably sign up for that, Sunny. Um, Well, I'm grateful for your your time. Like I said, Justine, thank you again for coming on and talking with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and follow along on Instagram at Sunny Abata, S-O-N-N-I, A-B-A-T-T-A. All of the latest blog posts are at wegotatalk.com slash blog. Hey.